Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Banter on the Parkway. I am your host, Brian, from BannersOnTheParkway.com. And uh, joining us live from his closet, having hidden anything that I might uh, comment on, it's a man who has tested negative for being a hater, but tested positive for crushing a lot. It's Brad. How you doing? Wow. Um, was that an old big pun reference? Um, Because... You tell me. I'm just reading mental tests over here, man. I saw a thing on Twitter today posted by uh, the St. John's SB Nation blog of an old ranking they had done of rappers. And Lauren Hill came out on top of it, including uh, ahead of people, including Big Pun. It was like 90s rappers or something. She was ranked 16 points higher than Nas. Uh, I thought that was pretty ridiculous. So I guess maybe I shouldn't have tested negative for being a hater because I think that's bad. But I did enjoy the work of Big Pun. May he rest in peace. All right. Well, anyway, we're also uh, joined this week by a guy he uh, missed. He missed the the recording last week because he was at the mall uh riding escalators it's brayden um did you get your escalator related fun in i mean i did at the same time i'm an escalator addict so i kind of got to get my fix uh whenever i can and i don't think i should be shamed for loving to ride escalators i still do it uh the best game to play is when you uh run up an escalator that's going down uh, i still think that's fun uh even at the age of 21 it's entertaining Actually, I got kicked out of a mall once for doing that. Um, who? <laughs> so, um, hopefully they've 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 loosened those restrictions. So, goodness sake, folks, it's 2021, um, and it's great cardio. I doubt I could even do it at this point in my life. Um, but anyway, um, on to some Xavier-related news. Um, unless we just want to go escalators on the Parkway, no. No takers. Okay. Uh, Xavier is up to 17th in the AP poll. Uh, they jumped five spots from 22nd last week when they didn't play to 17th this week when they beat Butler, which barely counts as playing. Um, and right now, Xavier has 19 Big East games on the schedule. The game at Georgetown that was postponed has still not been rescheduled. So, uh, we talked a little bit last week. Joel went in, into depth a little bit about the difficulties with rescheduling that game, um, especially if you don't want to make anyone play back-to-back -back days. So it is seeming like that game's probably just not going to happen. And then Cesar Edwards uh, has been out with an ankle sprain and should be back in time for Nova. I don't know that anyone has been, well, I'm sure someone has, has been sitting uh, watching TV wondering where Cesar Edwards is. But uh, he has been unavailable. He should be available again for Nova. So in college basketball, just overall general news, uh, Providence and Creighton um, have had their game canceled. Now, Providence had been off to a fantastic start this season. Um, that came to a screeching halt this past week when they uh, 
went to Marquette and just got their brains beat in by 32 points. Uh, they did uh, turn around and beat St. John's at home by 10. Um, but I, I think the cracks showed a little bit in their performance at Marquette, to be honest. Um, but anyway, um, they're not playing against Creighton. So the other thing is that the ACC is uh, pretty bad this year, um, which is interesting. Right now in Ken Palm, they're ranked fifth. Um, they're closer to the Pac-12, which is in sixth, and not great than they are to the Big East in fourth. Um, and right now, Duke is the only team that you would say is for sure going to make the tournament. North Carolina um, has a decent resume. They've not really beaten anyone except for a home win against Michigan. Um, but even Duke has had their struggles because uh, an old friend resurfaced to sink the Blue Devils uh, this week. Braden, uh, can you tell us who it was who did it to Duke this week for the Miami Hurricanes? It was former Banter on the Parkway one-time Big East Player of the Week, Charlie Moore. Uh, I know we all missed talking about him, or at least I did, because it seemed like every time I was on this podcast, I wanted to talk about Charlie Moore, but he really did it to him. Uh, he was Ken Palm MVP for that game. He had, late in the game, what can only be described as a sexy assist uh, that really uh, <laughs> put Duke behind. Uh, I don't think it was their... Uh, Final lead, but then he made a uh, just improbable layup while falling out of bounds. But it was good to see him, uh, you know, having a good performance. And now that he's in Miami, having a chance to win a few games after watching him rot at DePaul for a while. Yeah, and speaking of DePaul, um, after getting off to a hot start, good news, folks, they've DePauled. Uh, they are 0-4 <laughs> currently in the Big East. Uh, their only game that was even close was their loss by four at butler other than that they've all been by multiple possessions and they just came off giving up 79 points to villanova in a game that was only 61 possessions so uh that's crazy um and then um at wisconsin johnny davis uh is making his case honestly to become the player of the year and possibly the greatest player in college basketball history um because he has just gone nuts the last two games um the first one was in a victory over purdue where he went for 37 points and 14 rebounds um against a really good front line from purdue he then turned around and slapped 19 and 7 on danny manning's maryland terrapins in another victory so uh or actually, between those two games, he uh, went for 26 and 9 against Iowa. So um, hopefully, laughed in Fran McCaffrey's face. Who knows? But anyway, Johnny Davis doing big things. Um, but we're here to talk about Xavier. And Xavier was finally back in action. After 17 days off, they went to uh, a barn somewhere in Indiana and tried to remember how to play basketball. Came away with an 87 72 victory over the Butler Bulldogs. Uh, so, Brad, did we learn anything about Xavier in this game, or was this just a case of knocking the rust off and getting back in the victory column before you go back to playing teams that are actually going to matter come March? Um, I think we learned a couple things. Uh, for one, in some of the content that Xavier put out 
uh, after the game, you could see Travis Steele giving an impassioned speech to be the more aggressive team. Um, and I think Xavier did manage to come out and do that. Um, that stood them in good stead because at first they were struggling to score just a little bit. I think the other thing that we found out is that Xavier can win even if Colby Jones isn't having a great game. Um, he went for 7-7 seven, seven and 0, turned the ball over once, never really could find his um, rhythm shooting the ball. He was the only player who played significant minutes and didn't have an offensive rating well over 100. But this just showcased uh, Xavier's depth. Um, I know that um, Evan Mikaiwa was had been talking this week about how deep Xavier's team is. Um, Jerome Hunter is essentially one of the very best, fifth best players on a team, which is uh, an interesting way of breaking things down. Um, and I'm sorry, eighth best player on the team. So Jerome, <laughs> Jerome Hunter, yeah, not the fifth best player on Xavier. Uh, he is an outstanding three-point shooter, I think we've all come to realize. But Jerome Hunter is uh, one of the better eighth best players on a team in the nation. Uh, Xavier's very deep. This game showcased that depth. And a guy uh, like Colby Jones can afford to have a really off night, and it really didn't slow the team down very much at all. Uh, the other thing we learned is that Jerome Hunter, somebody asked us last week, one of our questions was, has Jerome Hunter learned to shoot the ball? So apparently in that 17-day break, he did learn how to shoot the ball. So that is a good step in the right direction for Jerome. Um, he's on fire, shooting two out of his last three from behind the arc, which has raised his overall mark to a scorching 22%. So uh, Jerome Hunter, three-point ace, uh, I think is going to be something that we're tweeting a lot here in the second half of the season. Okay, in all seriousness, I did think that um, that was a good sign for Jerome Hunter because, like I said last week, his three-point shooting percentage this year is well below his career mark. Um, and so if you're looking at the larger sample size, the indication is that, yes, Jerome Hunter can shoot the three. And even though he got a very fortunate bounce on his first make, it was nice for him to see a couple drop through. Um, so I do think he can be a, a viable threat from three. Um, maybe not at the same level as Dwan Odom, but, you know, no one is. So. Anyway, yeah, Xavier's uh, attack went uh, for 1.36 points per possession. Like Brad said, everybody had an O rating above 100, um, except for Colby Jones. Um, so, Brad, why was Xavier able to score so efficiently against Butler? Uh, a lot of it just has to do with the fact that Butler sucks, honestly. Um, Butler's not a very good team. We talked last week that they're heading in the wrong direction. Laval Jordan... Um, isn't doing what he's supposed to be doing. Uh, shout out Saginaw Valley State again. Uh, that was a lot of the issue. Another thing is that Xavier just came out and played really good offense. They took a lot of open shots. They got a, a lot of good clean looks uh, through rotation and working the ball inside out. And uh, like we've said all year, when the three-pointer is going, this is a super tough team to beat. Um, if Xavier can knock down threes, they're really, really good. They shot 45%. And Butler never really had a chance. Um, I think the interesting thing, the announcer kept saying, I think it was Casey Jacobson said that Xavier was keeping Butler at an arm's length. And it felt like that the whole game. Um, Butler was there, but they were never really at any point watching or listening to that game. Did you think, oh, man, here comes a Butler run? They just sort of existed. 
as the game went on and then they lost at the end because they're not very good and that's why Xavier looked really good. Yeah, I did think uh Casey Jacobson actually did a really good job in my opinion. Um which is the opinion that you tuned in to hear. So, uh anyway, yeah. Um we could get maybe a lot more of him and a lot less Dickie Simpkins or Donnie Marshall. Um I'd be uh, a happy fella. Um, Butler did go for 1.12 points per possession. Braden, um, why was Butler able to score so efficiently against Xavier? And is it something we need to be concerned about? This Xavier team had been kind of hanging their hat on the defensive end. Um, what was it against Butler that made that not quite as as dominant as usual? Butler, uh, for them not being a great team, they do still have a pretty solid pick and roll combo with Aaron Thompson and Bryce Golden. Uh, Bryce Golden, I have a healthy sports hatred for. He just seems like a goon. But uh, Thompson went for 20. uh, Golden went for 19. Uh, Zach Fremantle got routinely rinsed in the pick and roll. And Thompson is a pretty shifty point guard who can't shoot uh, a jump shot to save his life. But he's still really crafty at getting into the lane. So. X wasn't really able to shut those two guys down. Nobody else on Butler went for double digits. They had some really efficient showings, uh, especially Bryson Z, who I don't know if you guys heard, uh, has a bit of a shoulder injury. Um, I, I, re- I really thought they were going to have to amputate it uh, and put it in the Butler Hall of Fame at halftime. But, uh, you know, he still went for, he only had nine points, but didn't have to take too many shots to get there. Um Really, the reason for that was because of the threat that Thompson and Golden posed. Other guys were getting some pretty clean looks. Uh, but at the end of the day, they don't really have anybody else who's going to step up like that. Um, Chuck Harris had been doing pretty well uh, up until this game. And then he was really a non-factor for most of it. He hit a couple late to kind of flatter the score line, But in the end, it was those two guys for Butler and then X Uh, On the other side, nobody played uh, more than 30 minutes except for Paul Scruggs. And a lot of guys, four guys got in double figures for us. Very efficient showings from everybody except Colby Jones. And then uh, I know this is getting a little long, but one thing that encouraged me was the lack of turnovers. Um, I assumed coming off of a a COVID pause that there would be the rust to knock off there would be the turnover issue coming back to bite us. Butler's not a great team. Uh, They don't force an insane number of turnovers. But the fact that we limited the turnovers to six and the only guy with multiples was Scruggs uh, was a really encouraging thing. And I think it shows that the offense can uh, keep going even after these pauses where we kind of lose some of that rhythm, some of that continuity. Like Braden said, Brian, I think the problem that Xavier really had here was with Aaron Thompson being able to get into the lane. Um, I was a little bit surprised that we didn't see more of Dwan Odom on him um, just to try to pressure the ball more and uh, limit some of that quickness. But he really hit on the the real issue that I think is going to become an issue for this team, and that's Zach Fremantle's defense. Um, when Scruggs and Fremantle were trying to stay with Golden and Thompson, it was a serious issue for Xavier. Um, because Scruggs could to some extent stay in front of Thompson, but the instant they brought uh, Fremantle's man over there, uh, Scruggs was almost working on a one and a half against two sort of situation. Zach's got to figure out some way um, 
of being more active on defense. Uh, like one of the announcers said, he's he's laterally quick enough. Um, he just seems to get lost or I don't want to say disinterested. I don't think he doesn't care about playing defense, but he's in the wrong place too often. He doesn't step to help quickly enough. And he just gets turned inside out there a lot. Um, I think if that continues to be a problem, especially against Villanova, because you know Jay Wright's going to scheme for that, we might see more Deontay Miles in there um, for a better defensive look, especially if the offense is ticking over like it was against Butler. Yeah, um, it did. It, it looked like Fremantle was getting caught flat-footed a lot in that pick and roll. And to Butler's credit, it's something that they exploited. Um, to Butler's discredit, they don't have any other shooters that they could throw the ball to if the pick and roll did not work. For all that Jared Bolden's supposed to be that, um, he's not. So they were kind of it's it's like they're probably two players short of actually having a cohesive offense. So um, something that uh, has been going around on social media um, recently is the uh, hashtag 10 year challenge. Um, and that's just so robots can learn your face and then steal your identity, guys. Uh, so don't do it. But also, we're going to do it right now. Um, <laughs> not with pictures of ourselves but uh, with the Xavier program. Um, so 10 years ago, Xavier was um, right in the middle of playing Duquesne right now. Um, and Xavier was in the middle of a game against Duquesne that they were hoping to win to go to two and one in the Atlantic 10 after losing their A-10 opener to LaSalle. So, uh, you know, when everybody melts down and craps their pants because we only beat Morehead State by 20. Just uh, remember those days when uh, we dropped five of six, including Oral Roberts, Hawaii, Long Beach State, and LaSalle. Um, that's not great. But anyway, um, so 10-year challenge is Xavier's program in a better place now than it was uh, 10 years ago, Brad. Um, I think of the questions we're going to ask here, this is the one that's easiest to answer yes. Um, like you mentioned, there's a lot of resume poison. Just scrolling through the games after, or right before that Duquesne game uh, that Xavier won, pretty handily, a comfortable 28-point win. Uh, they had had to play Fordham on the road. Uh, there, That's a lose-lose. Winning that doesn't do you any good. Still coming up were games against 151st-ranked Charlotte, 171st ranked George Washington, 109th ranked Richmond, 225th ranked Rhode Island. I mean, there are just some terrible games on here that Xavier played and had to win because a loss would have completely torpedoed their season. Um, Xavier's also in that season 10 years ago that we're talking about, struggling through the aftermath of the brawl and everything that came with that. That's the reason for that uh, losing five out of six stretch that you talked about. Um, players have been suspended and we're coming back. Um, X did end up making the tournament that year, uh, knocked off Notre Dame in a pretty fun game and then beat Lehigh uh, before falling short against Baylor in a game where they essentially spotted Baylor an enormous lead and then spent the entire game trying to fight back into it. But now you're looking at just an entirely different situation. Xavier still plays games against teams that bad, um, but they're by games now. Um, and then in conference, if Butler and DePaul could get it together, we wouldn't have to deal with things like that. But uh, Xavier can look ahead at games against Villanova, Creighton, Marquette, Providence, Seton Hall, uh, Connecticut. 
there's just a lot more good wins and a lot less bad losses. Um, the whether the team or is as good or not, I don't know. We can get into that later. But the the program is in such a good space because the recruiting of being able to tell people, yeah, you're going to play the in the Big East tournament at Madison Square Garden. Um, you're in the Big East every year. You've got great games coming up. I think that the program is just in a much better place now. You're not going to have, I hope, an enormous lull where they uh, dip down near 100 in the Ken Palm again because a couple players leave. So I'd say, yeah, 10 years on now that uh, some sort of conspiracy theory Facebook aggregate thing has pulled all of Xavier's faces and can, I don't, steal their children or whatever is supposed to happen for that. I think the program is in a better place. I think a big part of why it matters that Xavier's in the Big East too is that Fox Sports contract um, because, um, A, it matters to me because when you're in the Atlantic 10, not a lot of <laughs> not a lot of places are picking up games at George Washington. You know, it's not e- always easy to uh, find a way to watch um, Atlantic 10 basketball. Um, Big East basketball is much more accessible. And that matters also in recruiting. You know, if you walk in and you say, yeah, here, um, get your ESPN Plus subscription so that you can watch garbage conferences like the American. Um, that is different than saying, yeah, you know, everybody in your family is going to be able to watch him every every time he plays. Um, so I think the TV contract actually does make a big difference, in my opinion. Um, Braden, is this individual team right now better than the 2012 team? Like Brad said, that was a team that um, made it to the Sweet 16, um, gave Baylor a game there, um, really kind of fought that one back in the second half, but couldn't quite get um, into the Elite Eight where I think it would have been Kentucky um, is who they would have played next and obviously would have beat them, meaning John Calipari would still have zero national championships at Kentucky. But anyway, um, is this team better than that team? Basically, could this team beat the 2012 Kentucky team? I think yes. (laughs) Um, Well, I'll take the first part of that question, maybe leave the other part to Brad or something. Uh, But if you look uh, in the Ken Palm stats, uh, yes, this individual team is currently better. Obviously, the 2012 team is pulled down by the uh, brawl and the aftermath of that. And obviously, they played their entire season. Uh, obviously, this year's team has not yet. At least I hope. You never know uh, if the season might get canceled. But if you uh, look at it, you know, with being in the Big East now, obviously, we're getting those, you know, higher recruits and everything. But if you look at the raw numbers, yes, this team is better. They have a higher ranking. Uh, they won't be playing, uh, you know, 200 ranked teams in conference the rest of the year. So they're really not going to get their season torpedoed like that. Of course, losing to Georgetown to Paul or Butler wouldn't look good, uh, but it's not the same level of resume poison, if you will. Uh, but yeah, this team if you look at the numbers, is a better team. They don't have, you know, the Holloway Lions backcourt, which, you know, we look back at so fondly. But overall, this team is pretty solid and I think could also make the Sweet 16, if not go further, like that team did. And I think the the thing that really stands out looking back at this 2012 team is that, unfortunately, that everything that happened really derailed what should have been an awesome swan song for two Holloway 
I mean, he had a good year, but it wasn't his best year. Um, he was excellent as a junior. He was really good as a sophomore. But you actually have to go back to probably a couple years prior when he was playing with Jordan Crawford to find a team where you think this could match up with the current team. Um, they just Xavier's team was not as offensively efficient back then. They had Des Wells, Mark Lyons, and two Holloway. And other than that, the only guy that they had who had an O rating over 100 was Andre Walker, and he was just hanging right on that line. Um, Kenny Freeze was a good rebounder, but he didn't get on the glass uh, in the same way like Jack Nungy does this year. Or, I mean, honestly, he rebounded at a Colby Jones level. Um, that was a good team. Then for what we had, it had a guy whose number should absolutely be retired from Xavier. But 10 years on, the program's in a better place. And I just think that this team flat out is better. Whether that means they're going to go to the Sweet 16 or not, I don't know. Um, whether that means they could beat 2012 Kentucky or not, I'd have to research a little bit. And thankfully, we're not going to run into 2012 Kentucky in the tournament. But they could. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. I just don't, I don't see how Anthony Davis is going to be able to stop uh, Jack Nungy in the paint. Um, <laughs> call me crazy. Uh, anyway, um, now here is the, here's the question. Because the 2012 team was coached by Chris Mack. Um, and I think this is probably the most interesting question uh, because the other ones can be borne out by numbers. Which coach would you rather have right now in 2022, Chris Mack or Travis Steele? Braden, go ahead. Ugh. Travis Steele. And I, I don't think it's really much of a debate at this point. Um, since Chris Mack has left Xavier, he's had a couple good teams. Uh, the, his Louisville team from the year that COVID canceled the tournament. Uh, they were a very solid team, probably could have made a pretty deep run if we're being honest. Uh, since then, uh, the wheels have pretty much come off for him. Uh, we know his, uh, his off court antics, uh, have not been, uh, good, <laughs> just to say the least. Um, and then with, you know, that loss at DePaul with that uh, post-game presser. Uh, he didn't really bathe himself in glory there. Uh, but also, like, his team currently, and uh, even last year, um, I honestly think Steele has the program trending in a much better direction uh, at X than Mac does at Louisville. Um, I personally like Steele. I think he's, a, he's getting a lot better on the job. Uh, he's a pretty good dude. He's a uh, positive in press conferences. I just think he's all around the better man for the job right now. I, Brad. I'm going to agree with Braden um, with the caveat that I think had Max stayed um, in some sort of Spider-Man, no way home parallel universe sort of thing. I think he would still be the man for the Xavier job, but it's honestly I'm not a Chris Mack hater. I know we come across a lot of those online. A lot of people really seem to dislike him for some reason. That is for all of my usual hating and pessimism. I like Chris Mack still, but he just looks like a beaten down man now. His body language is entirely different. Uh, the guy who came out to Eminem at one of Xavier's Midnight Madnesses just seems to be completely gone now. Um, 
like Braden said, he's blowing up at reporters. He looked like uh, he hadn't slept in three or four days the last time uh, I saw him in a press conference. And right now he is presiding over back-to-back the two worst teams that Louisville has had since 2001. Uh, Rick Pitino's very first team was 61st in the Ken Palm. Uh, That was marginally worse than the 59th that Mac has put the last two teams in. The worst team that was significantly, last team that was significantly worse than that was Denny Crum's last team. Um, It's just, it's something to watch. Uh, Louisville is heading the wrong way. Xavier's heading the right way. I feel bad for Chris Mack, but I think that this is one of those cases that proves that the grass is not always greener. He's getting paid a lot more. Um, He's back where he theoretically uh, wanted to be, but you have to wonder if there are times when he's lying in his bed of money at night where he wonders if it was really worth it. I feel bad-ish for Chris Mack. (laughs) I feel as bad as I can for a multimillionaire. you know, he's really being compensated to tell other people to work really hard. Um, but I digress. Um, I would, I think I would go with Steele. The other thing with Mac is there has been a lot of off the court stuff with him at Louisville. Um, namely, a, <laughs> an extortion scandal that the FBI got involved in. Um, so that's, you know, not great. Um, as far as I know, Coach Steele has stayed off the FBI's radar, although there's like a chance, I guess, he's a drug kingpin or something. I don't know. Um, I don't know if like the FBI watched him take his young son into Dana's and was like, whoa. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, he, he's just, Matt has not if you look at his his teams at Louisville, uh, his first two teams were really good, led by Jordan Noara, who he inherited, and Stephen Enoch, who he inherited. Now that he has teams full of players he recruited, um, it's going pretty poorly. Um, you know, David Johnson was supposed to be uh, a big deal there, and he's really just he he wasn't. Um, so I think that Coach Steele has been moving in the right direction and Mac has been moving in the wrong direction. Um, and everybody said Louisville would be Mac's last job. I think if it goes poorly, he might he might find somewhere else. He might stick around and do one more <laughs> just to leave on a slightly uh, sweeter taste because um, he has walked in there and it, it's pretty much gone badly. Um, since the day that the last of of Rick Pitino's players left. So anyway, that's our take. I am willing to bet that if we had other people on this podcast, someone would say they would rather have Chris Mack. But um, from my perspective, and apparently you guys' perspective, um, we are we are on the steel train. So uh, I mean, it's honestly, it's all the favor I've created with Coach Steele. Um, over the last few years is the reason I'm saying that it's not, I have no integrity. It's just that coach Steele, you know, texts me and it's like, Hey man, appreciate you saying nice things about me. Um, or whatever people think happened. I don't know. Um, anyway, theme music now, sort of save your player of the week. All right. 
And there it was. I will always love you. The Dolly Parton version, because um, we respect her. She wrote the song. So we're going to use her version. Um, and it's a song about undying love. And so, Brad, um, we're just going to go straight <laughs> to you. Um, because uh, who is <laughs> who is your Xavier Player of the Week? And how does it maybe relate to undying love? Um, well, listen, it's Adam Kunkel. I think that we probably will have a clean sweep here. I'm interested to see what you guys have picked. Um, yeah, I, Adam Kunkel is rapidly becoming my favorite player since uh, my first favorite player in my formative years was Gary Lumpkin. Um, I've said a ton of times I love the way the kid plays the game, and I think that he showed all the best sides of his game against Butler. Um, he went for 25, three and one kind of an Allen Houstonian line, but uh, his job is to shoot well and score. And that's what he did. He's four of eight behind the arc. He was four, four inside the arc and he was five of six from the line. Um, and he did, he paid homage to all the greats, uh, on the Butler court. Uh, he skipped a little bit and then shushed the crowd a la Trayvon Blewett. Uh, he drank out of the water fountain that has, um, become such a part of, uh, Xavier's history. He taunted the crowd a little bit. Uh, he threw the K's up, which I always enjoy, and then pointed to his own head. The dude was just on fire in the second half. Uh, three times in the second half, Butler cut it back to a single-digit lead, and that's usually where you start to think that the other team could make it run, uh, make a run and get back in the game. All three times they did that, Kunkel answered with the three-pointer to push it back to a double-digit lead one more time. Butler caught it, cut it to 10, and that's when Kunkel had that Euro step left-handed finish um, to push it back to 12. So he really uh, was a large part of Xavier keeping that game uh, well in hand. Uh, he had a great game. Uh, if, you know, there had been another game this week, maybe we would have another contender for player of the week. But when you do that, um, it, when you shoot the ball that well, when you're such a vital part of the team, uh, you're going to get my vote. So Adam Kunkel is my Xavier player of the week. All right. We've got a lineup for you here, Brad. In our lineup, you can only pick one. B.J. Raymond, Mark Lyons, Adam Kunkel. Oh, wow. Um, I, rather than pick anybody there, if faced with that choice, I think that I would take the, uh, the manly way out and hold my breath and faint and then force somebody to get me medical attention so I did not have to choose. I'm not picking between those guys. It's not okay, going to happen. Which, which of those three guys do you want giving you mouth to mouth when you come around? <laughs> That's, we're going to move past that. It's not that kind of podcast. Fine. Anybody who's Red Cross certified. Fine. You're going to hear first, folks. There are some questions we don't want to answer, apparently. I didn't think there were. Anyway, Braden. Can you answer the question, who's your Xavier player of the week? Or are we just going to skip that, too? I'll answer this one because uh, I'm uh, I'm not uncomfortable with this question. Um, yeah, going straight in with that one. Uh, for all the reasons Brad has already said, he's my Xavier player of the week. Um, yeah, dude, dude absolutely lit it up. And you could tell him in the second half uh, that it was 
it was time to go to the hot hand. Uh, but it never felt like he was just going ISO mode hero ball. Um, he was still getting his shots within the flow of the offense. It's just everybody knew he was hot, so he was the one they were going to. Um, that little uh, mid-range pull-up he hit where he did that kind of leg kick, I thought was the only time he really had to work to create his own shot in the half court. So I was really impressed with how smart he was, knowing he was the guy they were going to, and then he just stepped up and knocked everything down. And then to see him, you know, swagging around the court, Taunton Butler student section, it just, it, it made me so very happy, uh, just warmed my heart to the core. Yeah, I mean, it's a clean sweep. I don't know how, who else you could pick. Um, Paul Scruggs had a great game. Um, he went for 16, 7, and 6, which, uh, that's a pretty solid stat line. Um, you know, you had Jerome Hunter knocking some shots down, but uh, Kunkel had 25. And like Brad said, every time Butler made a run, he supplied the counterpunch, it seemed like. Although I will say my favorite moment of the game was when Butler was like, oh, crap, we got to shut down Kunkel. And they like quadruple team him. And then Nate Johnson just splashed one right in Jared Bolden's face and then was like, I'm just going to go back to not shooting. I'm just. Letting you guys know I, I can make them too. Um, I thought it was hilarious because he wasn't even that open. He was just like, I am I am sick of watching people shoot. I'm going to make one. Okay, now you guys can go back to feeding Adam Kunkel. But anyway, yeah, it, it's got to be uh, Adam Kunkel, um, in my opinion. So it's another clean sweep. Uh, it started that we were all picking different people. And then, like, I think it's three weeks in a row now. It's been clean sweeps. So, uh, anyway, there are multiple games this week, and I think that'll help because last few weeks we've just been reporting on one game, and so it's kind of tough when there's only one game. Uh, a lot of people don't recognize how hard this is, and it's extremely difficult. Um, but anyway, enough about how, how, how the pains I'm going to for you people. Um, we're looking ahead. Uh, to Xavier um, this week, they they host Villanova um, on Wednesday, which may be the day you're listening to this. Who knows? Um, and then Saturday they host Creighton. So, uh, Brad, how do you beat Villanova? Uh, Brian, it's really hard to beat Villanova. Uh, they've lost four times this year and i know at the start of the season people were asking what's wrong with villanova um they've gone on to rather prove that there's not really anything wrong with villanova um the problem with beating them is there is no one really common thread that runs through those losses um there's not something that they've done really badly you can hope to try to force them into uh, it's been a lot of different things against ucla uh Nova's defense just couldn't keep up, and I, I think they got tired. That's the longest game they've played all year. Um, UCLA grabbed 30%, 37% of their own misses, uh, shot just well enough for that to matter, and won in overtime. Against Purdue, Nova again played horrible defense, but they were playing against an extremely good offensive team. Uh, the pace was much lower than, against UC, than it was against UCLA, so it's not like Purdue was able to force the pace. Uh, kind of like the Bruins tried to do and really get out there. Um, it was just uh, – Purdue scored 37 points in the last 10 minutes of that game, which is just unbelievable. Um, if you count on Xavier doing that, uh, I think that's going to be a problem. But then against 
Baylor, Villanova played excellent defense. Um, they held Baylor to well under a point per possession. Unfortunately, they scored 36 points themselves. They scored under a point per minute, uh, which is even worse. Uh, Baylor didn't shoot well. Uh, they didn't get on the offensive glass like the other two teams have had. Uh, the other two losses at that point had, and they didn't even score a point per possession, and they won by 21. Uh, Nova was 6-27 inside the arc and 6-27 outside the arc that game. Um, again, that if you want X to repeat that, that is really a lot of work cut out. Uh, in Nova's very next game, they lost to Creighton by 20, um, and things flip-flopped around again there. Then it was Nova's defense that didn't hang on, uh, but Villanova also didn't shoot the ball very well. They were 423 behind the arc and 42.5% inside the arc, and Creighton shot really well, but they turned the ball over a lot. Um, there really is no one way to beat Nova. If you break it all down, the one thing that kind of, the one thread that sticks through it is offensive rebounding. Um, Baylor had the worst offensive rebounding rate um, against any team that's beaten Nova at 30%. The other teams have really gotten on the glass well, but DePaul and Tennessee both hammered the offensive glass against uh, Nova and they both lost. Uh, UCLA tried to pick the pace up um, and played one of the higher paces that Nova has played to try to uh, shorten, I'm sorry, to try to lengthen out the game and shorten the time that uh, Nova has to get into that bench, really make their starters work. Um, Nova doesn't have a deep bench. Uh, Tennessee and Seton Hall both tried to do the exact same thing. They forced a faster pace and they lost. Um, so that's not the way to do it. Uh, you can also just try to play great defense and keep Villanova from shooting. Uh, that's how Baylor and Creighton beat them. But the Wildcats shot uh, 38% and 45% in those games against Purdue and UCLA from behind the arc. So, uh, you know, just keeping their three-point shooting from getting going is not a guarantee that you're going to win because they can also shoot well from behind the arc and lose. Um, shutting off the interior is not a guarantee either because Nova shot 44% inside against Syracuse, which is terrible, and even worse, 39% against Tennessee inside the arc, and they still won both of those games. Um, I... I Tennessee hit all three of the things that other teams have tried. They offensive rebounded really well. They sped the game up and they shut Nova off inside uh, the arc and they still got hammered. Um, it's just, there's no one way to beat them. If you want to beat Villanova, you have to hope that you catch them on a day where they're doing a couple things poorly and you're doing everything well. Um, I, the one thing that I think Xavier really needs to key on is getting on the offensive glass. If you can collect, and I know this is a ludicrously high number, but if you collect 40% of your misses against Nova, you're going to win. Now, if you collect 40% of your misses against pretty much anybody, you're going to win. But that's, I think that's what Xavier has to focus on. Uh, Xavier is a pretty good offensive rebounding team. Maybe not great, but they're going to have to try to get on the glass as best they can. And the other thing that I think that they can try to do is shut off a, uh, Nova's inside shooting and force them to rely on the outside shooting. Obviously, though, as we've seen over the years, that's really playing with fire. Um, I think it's pointless to try to force the tempo and try to force Nova to turn the ball over. Um, they're really just not going to do that. Um, they're too well coached and despicable, though he is. Colin Gillespie's generally too good of a point guard for that. So I think X has got to get on the offensive glass. 
They got to try to shut Villanova down inside, and then they just got to ride their luck and hope that the Wildcats aren't knocking them down from outside. But there's no one way you can say, hey, we're going to point at this. This is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to beat Nova. Um, it's a tall task, but if they get the win, it's a huge win. So uh, I think this week that game against Nova is a big one. Nova's seventh in the net, and then you got Creighton coming in too. So it's two chances to grab a couple really good wins this week. Yeah, I mean, Creighton, um, just briefly, is a much, I guess it's a much easier problem to solve. You just got to turn them over. They turn the ball over on 20% of their possessions naturally. Um, and despite what Greg McDermott has done previously, this is a horrendous three-point shooting team. So um, if you can get them to uh, turn the ball over a lot, um, you'll probably do okay. Um, they did shoot the three well enough to beat Villanova, but um, they've been super inconsistent from three this year. So um, that's going to be probably uh, less of a big ask than last year, but uh, Xavier does need to uh, take care of business against Creighton. We have a couple questions from Twitter. Um, first is from... Uh, Longtime listener and uh, multiple time question asker, Michael Partish. Thank you, Michael. Um, given our Muskies have been fortunate to have so many contributions from different players on almost any night, a different player is capable of stepping up and leading the team to victory. Will it remain our strategy to simply go to the hot hand when scoring is needed in crunch time? So, Braden, um, obviously this year you've seen Scruggs hit big shots. You've seen Nate Johnson hit some big shots. Um, you've seen Jack Nungy get fed during crunch time. Obviously, last week it was Adam Kunkel. Um, is that going to be what Zay continues to do? Or do you think that they'll try and settle on someone um, in closer Big East games as kind of their killer? I think it kind of goes back to what we've talked about the last couple of weeks with like your crunch time five and also who you're giving the ball to uh, eight seconds to go when you need a bucket. Obviously, if that Butler game is closer and Adam Kunkel's going off like he was, I think it's the obvious choice to get him the ball at some point in the possession because uh, he's a good playmaker. <clears throat> Obviously, he's a great shooter. Um, I think it, it really depends on who's going off on that particular night. Uh, when it's a guard like that, Scruggs, Odom, Kunkel, one of those guys, I think you're running probably a lot of stuff to get him uh, with a pick and roll with probably Nunji or Fremantle, depending on the matchup. And then you're trusting the guy with the hot hand to make the right decision. Uh, X obviously has a lot of guys that are capable, as he's pointed out here. Uh, but I think when it comes down to it, you're still going to be running your stuff, but you're going to be getting it to the guy with the hot hand and then uh, trusting him to make the best decision um, you know, maybe it's kicking it to an open man, but you're getting it to that guy who's feeling it. And then you're living and dying by what he's going to do. Yeah. Um, I think that it, it works. Um, you know, honestly, like the Marquette game, um, Xavier was needing a big bucket late and was able to use the fact that Dwan Odom was on fire to free up Nate Johnson, um, who was also on fire. Uh, so uh, I think what they're doing right now works because teams aren't quite sure who to key on. 
Um, we kind of saw it last year in the Providence game when Colby Jones hit the game winner. Um, they expected Adam Kunkel to take the shot. It kicked out to Paul Scruggs, who they overplayed, and it left Colby Jones wide open for the game winner. So I think what they're doing right now works. Um, and uh, I don't think Colby Jones was particularly hot that game, but um, it worked. The ball went in. So um, in reference to how to beat Villanova, uh, Sean Sherbs has a suggestion, which is throw an accurate entry pass. Um, so, Brad, how how difficult is this? And do you think when Sean talks about accurate, do you think he means an uh, entry pass that goes to the person you're passing it to or that goes in the basket for three points? Um, I think he would actually probably I don't know, Sean, personally, but as a Xavier fan, I think he's probably content with either outcome. Um, if you just pass it into the hoop, then all the better. Uh, he raises that point uh, specifically talking because the last game we saw in, against Nova, we saw a lot of entry passes into Jack Dungey that uh, collected rain on the way down, um, just trying to arc the ball way in. Whoever was on the uh, weak side guard was trying to toss the ball over the defense to get it to Nungy and usually had to put enough air under it that by the time it got there, there were four Villanova guys waiting uh, next to Jack trying to catch the ball. I think Sean is probably driving at more that Xavier needs to get the ball inside. Uh, that was a complaint against Villanova the last time. I, I'd push back a little bit. Uh, Xavier took 29 two-point attempts in a slow-paced game there. Uh, that's on the lower end for X this year, but not alarmingly so. I mean, they only took 24 two-point attempts against Virginia Tech. Um, it, obviously, they're better the more the ball goes into the paint, but they can win without having to really force it in there. Uh, the key is going to be uh, knocking down three-pointers. Xavier was 6-23 of 23 against Villanova after starting 6-7, of seven, including a chest pass. Um, they have to make threes. If they don't make threes, they're not going to win this game, regardless of how accurate the entry passing is, because when a Xavier big catches the ball, he's going to get double or triple team. That's what Villanova did in the first game, just dared Xavier to shoot him out of that defense, and Xavier tried and couldn't do it. Uh, if that same thing happens again on Wednesday, then Xavier's going to lose, and that's all there is to it. Uh, they're going to have to make three-point shots to beat Villanova. It's as simple as that. You can't beat Nova by trying to just force the ball inside, force the ball inside, force the ball inside. I know that's what the fans want to see. I know that's where Xavier's better players are, but they're going to have to knock down shots if they want to win this game. So accurate entry passes will help. Entry passes that go into the hoop will help, but Xavier's going to have to make some threes to win this game. Speaking of making threes to beat Villanova, last time Xavier beat Villanova, they made eight threes. Four different players made two three-pointers each. Braden, can you name those four players? That would be Paul Scruggs, Najee Marshall, yes. Elias Harden, yes. and oof, Quentin Gooden. He got him. Wow. Let's go. <laughs> Dang. I thought I thought Harden would be the the stumper there, but no, you are that correct. Was, that was his moment in the sun. Uh, I don't want him to think I forgot that. I know he's listening, and uh, you know I've not watched those highlights on repeat every time we lose to Nova ever since then. See, I think it would have been harder to guess that Quentin Gooden made two three pointers in a game. Heck no. What, that dude was a sniper. What are you talking about? <laughs> 
Heck no. Both for 29 stretch. Uh, yeah. What? Those were the only four players to attempt a three for Xavier that game as well. Although the only other two players who played more than 10 minutes were Tyreek Jones and Zach Hankins. So <laughs> I'm not positive. I liked those guys game. I'm not positive either one of them are somebody I'd like to see shooting threes, though. Um, to wrap it up, um, since we uh, always ask one of these questions, and I'm about out of them, um, favorite new media of 2021? Um, could be a movie, could be a book, could be a song, could be an album. Go ahead, Brad. What you got? Um. This was a tough one for me. Uh, my, my favorite author, Nathaniel Philbrick, put out a new book called Travels with George um, about George Washington's uh, trip through uh, the United States after he was inaugurated as the first president. That was a good book. But um, I ended up going with Survivor's Guilt, the mixtape by uh, Kenny Hoopla. Uh, it came out in June of 2021. Uh, Kenny Hoopla is kind of my favorite new, I don't know if you call him, rapper alternative rock he kind of is all over the place uh really interesting artist out of cleveland um he's currently in a cabin in wisconsin where he only picks up his mail at a p.o box and is completely off of social media so he's uh one of those kind of dudes but uh really good mixtape he put out uh travis barker produced it and did the drum work on a lot of it um if you're looking for a good cut off of that silence is also an answer is a great song and i think most people who listen to um a rock station with any frequency might have heard the song estella is also on there but uh survivor's guilt uh was my favorite piece of new media for 2021 okay so this is this like uh is he wanted or is it like a henry david throw type thing um I don't know. <laughs> it's one of those things how, you know, like sometimes you're like, man, these young people, I just don't understand what they're doing. It's one of those. Uh, I'm getting old and Kenny Hoopla is in a cabin in Wisconsin finding himself. Maybe I I'm not sure. I don't know what these youths are doing these days, Bri. Gal, with their, with their lingo and, you know, their, Snapgram and all that. It's ridiculous. Anyway, uh Braden, you're one of the youths. Make us sound cool. Yes, I am indeed one of the youths. And uh what Kenny Hoopla is doing is making more money than probably all of us. So I think I'm just gonna let him roll with that. Uh but my favorite new media of 2021, um, you know, movies, don't really watch many of them, books hate them. Uh, I don't read them. I I'm illiterate. So reading this script is a real issue every week. Um, but my favorite new media <clears throat> was the album Greatest Hits by the band Waterparks. And I know what you're thinking. It's a Greatest Hits compilation album. You're wrong. That's what I thought the first time I heard it. It is actually their, I believe it's their fifth album that they've put out. I personally enjoyed it a lot. Uh, it's probably not for everybody because uh, it's a little bit all over the place. But it came out in May, and the song I listen to the most, according to Spotify, is off that album. It's called You'd Be Paranoid Too. And from whenever Spotify uh, starts tracking your data for the year to whenever they end, I listened to that song apparently 150 times. So from oh, May my. to the start of December, when our Spotify wrapped came out, uh, I was bumping that with some consistency. So that was my favorite new media. If you 
want to go check that out, please do. And if you don't like it, I kind of understand, but I really enjoyed it. Huh, 150%. So do you like have it muted in the background when we record podcasts? Because honestly, I just don't see how you have the time. Dude, I don't know where that time comes from either. Like, it's not a long song, but still 150 times for about a three-minute song. I'm not great at math, but that's a lot of time. That's a lot of minutes. He's one of those youths. These youths have all the time. They just oh. have so much time for their music. Yeah, I just lock myself in a cabin in Wisconsin and then listen to that song the entire summer. <laughs> Apparently. Um... So I asked this question and then I was like, do I have a good answer? I do. Um, uh, Sam Fender is an artist that that I really like. Um, he is a singer <laughs> um, and, and he put out a new album this year called 17 Going Under. Um, I really liked it. You know, it, it's not uh, probably everybody's cup of tea. It's kind of a kind of got like a gaslight anthem bruce springsteen kind of feel to it um but anyway i i really enjoyed that um i don't know if i ever i've actually watched any movies that were released in 2021 um because i just don't what brad i, what I was gonna say i watched uh the new spider men movie uh no way home my kids loved it and it was just another moment where i felt super old the last Spider-Man movie I watched, Tobey Maguire was in, and he was in this one again. Oh, sorry, spoilers. Uh, but I guess there's like there's like a lot of different universes in the Marvel universe now, and I spent solidly three quarters of that movie pretty confused as to how we had three Spider-Men. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the watching movies. My kids really liked it though. Uh, they thought it was a good time. I was just confused as to which Spider-Man was which and which one was supposed to be the main Spider-Man right now. That's tough to keep up with. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, my scalding hot take was I liked Andrew Garfield the best as Spider-Man. I thought his movies were the worst, but um, I thought he was the best Spider-Man. Uh, but anyway, that's uh, that's our, you know, again, books. I don't, I don't read ever um i do talk to type like old people because i'm old <laughs> i'm i'm like a year from being a baby boomer i think anyway uh <laughs> that is it for us this week um thank you guys so much for listening xavier will be back in action on wednesday and then again on saturday so we will catch up with you guys next week as we look ahead to a visit to the depaul blue demons Oh, you know, man, you know, man, you know, man.